Welcome back to One Nail at a Time, Insights for Building Your Patient's Medical Home. I'm Lori. And I'm Michelle, and we're with the Alberta Medical Association. On today's podcast, uh, you, Michelle, were joined by co-host Brad Baylor to chat with Melissa Waddell. Now, Melissa has many roles, but today she came to chat with you in her capacity as the president of the Alberta Primary Care Nurses Association. That's right. And we had uh, a really rich conversation, and she and Brad spoke a bit about the scope of practice for primary care nurses, and that includes RNs, LPNs, and nurse practitioners. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they talked also a bit about the challenges that they face, and more importantly, about the future opportunities that primary care nursing affords us. Oh, yeah, definitely looking toward the future. I mean, team-based care has always been an implementation element in our, our patient's medical home model. Um, but it really is no longer an option. We don't have enough, nor will we have enough primary care physicians to handle patient um, demand going into the future. And so more than ever, we need to be freeing up physician time and really leveraging teams. So this is a really timely chat that you had. Absolutely. And Melissa will reference some resources and we'll make sure if you look in the in the show notes, mm-hmm. uh, find a link to those resources there. Awesome. Should we take a listen? Melissa, welcome and thank you for joining us on One Nail at a Time. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So to start us off, Melissa, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I often tell people that I wear multiple hats in the realm of primary care. Um, I work at the Edmonton West Primary Care Network. Um, Within my portfolio falls the nursing program, and that's where my passion lies. So I manage primary care nurses within our own organization. But I found myself in um, the president seat of the Alberta Primary Care Nurses Association as well. So I run that organization where we provide tools, education, resources and really promote the role of the primary care nurse throughout Alberta. And then we also, I also sit on the Canadian Family Practice Nurses Association as the Alberta representative and most currently am the co-chair of the Primary Care Alliance. Great. Well, we, we wanted to invite you because you're quite passionate about the role that nurses play in primary care or the role that nurses could be playing in primary care. And you know, I think we all recognize that there are some challenges in primary care right now. We are, in fact, um, you know, in a bit of a crisis, uh, and we need to look at doing things differently, and perhaps in a few different areas. And one of those areas is teams and teamwork, and how we really function as a team in primary care. So we wanted to ask you to talk to us a little bit about the role of nurses in primary care. Where would you say it is now and where do you think we we could be? Yeah, what a great question. Um, So just to kind of give a little bit of background, primary care nursing has been around for as long as there's been nurses working besides doctors in family offices. It just maybe hasn't been called that name. And even in the province right now, which kind of gives you a little bit of an idea, we exist under so many different titles. So there'd be family practice nurses, or sometimes it's panel management nurse, or they'll have a specific title like chronic disease management nurse, diabetes nurse. But all of these nurses are primary care nurses working in the primary care setting. So right now, I see this as um, 
just getting organized, really. Like our organization hasn't been around for too terribly long on the grand scheme of things that was established in 2017. Um, so we, we've done some really solid work over the last couple of years are really working to define what the role of the primary care nurse is in our understanding of the role, as well as what the current state is throughout Alberta. And what I've been finding is as the PCNs are all individualized institutions, it causes for a lot of, um, there's a lack of standardization for how this is kind of rolled out in family practices. Um, While I don't think that anything in family practice should be completely standard, I think that there's definitely a baseline of knowledge or work that a primary care nurse should be able to do and is enabled by their organization to do as well. Um, So that's kind of where we're at right now. And we actually don't have any sort of educational programs. Uh, Primary care nursing isn't discussed in post-secondary institutions other than two across Canada. And it's only discussed as like one class or one post-certificate program in, I believe it's Newfoundland. So where I see us going in the future, I think that when we're talking about small attainable steps. What I'd love to see is a really good understanding about the role of the primary care nurse and working towards some shared um, education for all primary care nurses throughout the province. And that's kind of what we're working towards for APCNA. Distant future, like big dreams, I think would be seeing it as um, part of our nursing curriculum, having it as a viable career path that every nurse knows about when they graduate uh, and really having bolstered education around that so that we can provide the best support that we possibly can to primary care. Wonderful. And Brad, your clinic, you definitely have a focus on team-based care. How how would you describe how uh, your clinic utilizes the nurses that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think... um it's probably good to talk a little bit about the history, which Melissa alluded to. So one of the problems is that if you're a primary care clinic and you want to incorporate a nurse into your environment, you know, there isn't necessarily a standardized set of skills that they come with. And it's really been left historically to the kind of devices of the clinic's and you know the physicians in those clinics to say well what could they do what should they do what should their role be and you know that has led to this kind of wide definition of what nurses do in a primary care clinic and so you know specifically in our clinic we've now spent probably 10 to 15 years with um, all types of different disciplines different interprofessionals and um, we spend a lot of time on the nursing role in our clinic and really trying to uh, understand as a group what is the scope of practice that a primary care nurse can contribute. You know, where is the ceiling to that scope of practice and how do you explore um, moving to that ceiling, often in an environment where, you know, the physicians might not know what the nurses can do, but sometimes the nurses haven't done those skills before even if it is part of their defined scope of practice. And so, um, you know, we've got a, we've got a, a lot of experience in it, in exploring that scope of practice conversation, Michelle, but I would be interested in maybe just kind of a summary from Melissa, you know, what is that 
scope of practice of a primary care nurse? What could they do? You know, um, what is the kind of sky is the limit view of what they could contribute in that setting? Yeah, happy to ask that and definitely have, you know, supportive documents, infographics, that kind of stuff on APCNA. Um, so we have it defined as, um, you know, they're quite a wide scope and they're called a specialty generalist in our professional opinion. Um, they know a little bit about everything, but we don't want to get them too terribly focused in one area as that kind of closes the door to other patients within the clinic. So there's five major headings that we kind of agreed on that nurses touch on primary care nurses in the setting. So health assessment and promotion. So that's things like, you know, your well child assessments, geriatric functional assessments, preventative care, cancer screening, um, urgent appointment, triage, prenatal care, all of that kind of stuff falls under there. And then there's also just primary care interventions. So more of those skills based things that you see in the clinic um, that could be cervical cancer screening, injections, INR management, medication review, a lot of like ear lavage, um, spirometry, ECG, that kind of thing. And then they, we also go into chronic disease management quite heavily. I, I'd say that that's a lot of what we're familiar with, with primary care nurses is that chronic disease management lens. Um, but it's not just diabetes. There's so many other people within our panel in Alberta that help need a little bit of assistance here. Um, so it's arthritis, congestive heart failure, COPD, asthma, dementia, diabetes, dyslipidemia, hypertension, mental health, and weight management or obesity. And then there's two other lenses that I just really make sure that we don't miss because it's kind of that unseen work. Um, but a lot of our nurses are really heavily involved in quality improvement initiatives within the clinic. Um, so that's improving the clinic efficiency, enhancing access, and like the measurement data portion. I actually have a nurse right now that's doing um, a project on diabetic foot screening recalls and like seeing how many people she can reach out to after the pandemic. Um, and then there's also care coordination, right? Like when, when we don't know where to send them or when a physician is like, oh, I have this patient with this problem. Sometimes I say, go ask the nurse. Cause like we, that's what we're there for, right. Is to try to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, but realistically, that's not an all-inclusive list of everything that a nurse can be doing in clinic. It's anything that your patient population needs. And we, we try to act to serve as that instead of doing a referral to specialized care, what could we be doing in the medical home? Um, and the nurse tries to fill that vacuum, right? Um, so instead of, you know, let's say there's a physician not super comfortable with diabetes, using that as a very common example, refers them all out to an endocrinologist. Well, that's not necessary. Um, we can do a lot of the teaching, the screening, um, that kind of stuff right in clinic. That's really interesting, Melissa. And I'm wondering, um, you mentioned in, in that list, one thing that stood out to me was uh, cervical cancer screening. So like you said, the nurse may or may not have learned how to do a pap, mm -hmm. but it is within the scope. So what needs to happen in primary care for a nurse to do paps? Specifically, PAPS is actually really easy to define. Um, the module exists by Screening for Life. Um, it's applicable to NPs, RNs, and LPNs. Um, so there is no kind of barrier for LPNs to provide that care. And they have an entire package that you do all of the reading, you shadow a few appointments, you're observed for a few appointments. That can be by a nurse or a physician, depending on your team makeup. Um, and then you get your lab code and you can start doing PAPS within the clinic. So they definitely may 
made it pretty easy on the PAP side of things. It's a lot of the other appointments that don't have that underlying education. And what would be the difference between an LPN and an RN, for instance? So scope of practice generally um, between LPN and RN in primary care? Yeah, so we did a lot of research on this at the EWPCN, conducting something called the Nursing Role Review. Um, So we actually surveyed our nurses, we looked through college documents, we looked through research articles, and we had a project that spanned about four years to really understand the role of the primary care nurse that influences a lot of what I talk about today and, and what we share at the APCNA. And what we found when we really broke down the actual tasks that nurses are doing in clinic on a regular basis, and it's quite a wide array, is there's really only two differences um, with the LPN scope of practice. Um, one of them being that there's some of them are restricted activities. So they have to get um, LPN, like CLPNA modules done to incorporate them into practice, but that's very common. RNs also have restricted activities too. The two that aren't incorporatable right now is adjusting insulin without a physician's order. So that's like a pretty common one that a CDE or an RN might do in practice on a regular basis, like titrate to effect. Um, So we'd need an order for like an insulin start and like what you would like the titration to do if it's an LPN. Um, And then the other one is actually just immunizations under five. So pretty minimal impact when you look at the difference of scope of practice. If you're looking um, to get uh, to prescribing or de-prescribing, LPNs don't have that competency yet either. But CLPNA has been doing a lot of great work. Um, and realistically, I think that we need to understand that LPNs can and should be working to their full scope of practice. Absolutely. Um, Brad, I'm curious, um, I'm sure I'm sure you've got uh, some thoughts or questions at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, I think for the average primary care clinic, the question will be, you know, out of this scope of practice, how best to help, you know, like how best to kind of help uh, an overloaded practice where people are feeling a bit stretched and burned out and wondering how to best maximize on people's scope of practice and abilities to contribute. And a, and a part of that also has to be the acknowledgement of the funding, you know, method you're working under. Because if you're a primary care practice working in a fee-for-service environment, you do need to, you know, really be um, paying attention to, you know, how you're going to pay for the space, you know, and the overhead and the, the work of your interprofessional team. So, you know, in, in my setting where we've moved from fee-for-service to an alternate payment model, you know, I do have nurses seeing people independently. You know, they're prescribing medications on protocols. They're managing diabetes and hypertension independently. You know, we have, um, you know, good communication pathways and guidelines for them to really maximize their scope of practice. But that's not going to be possible in you know a fee-for-service environment which is the majority of physicians in Alberta and so one of the big questions is you know knowing that uh, how best does a family practice nurse help you know in a primary care clinic what are the benefits of that family practice nurse in that primary care clinic in a fee-for-service environment and so you know, I have some thoughts on that, but I'd, I'd be interested in in your kind of thoughts on that 
um, Melissa, and then maybe I'll I'll build on what uh, your thoughts might be. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Um, you know, while blended cap might be a really great path of the future, that's not our current reality. So I think we need to work with what we have to make it better um, and not bank on like these huge system changes happening like really quickly. So all of our physicians that I work with in my day job at the EWPCN um, are fee for service. So we don't have anybody on blended cap and we have about 48 primary care nurses out working in clinic. Um, so usually what we find to be the most effective is having that conversation with the group or solo practitioner prior to, um, establishing which nurse is going where, matching them up with their skill set. We also do a lot of competency building within the PCN. So let's say a nurse is moving to a clinic and they haven't done PAPS before. Well, great. I have so many other nurses that you can go shadow and see how it works and get signed off before you even go into clinic. Um, we have that conversation about, you know, where are the gaps in your patient panel and what do you need help with? And the physicians are usually pretty great at identifying like, you know what, this is what I would love to see. Um, these are what I need a little bit of assistance with. And then there's always like those minor tasks, right? Like injections, ear flush, that kind of stuff that is just kind of a given. So we'll usually start with that. And what I always suggest is the nurse working alongside those physicians quite closely. I find that, um, you know, if you have an office in the back of a clinic door closed, seeing patients by yourself, that's not really a good contributor to team-based care. Um, what I see work best is when either the nurse is seeing some of those patients, like it gets filtered into their schedule. Let's say it's a chronic disease management patient. Let's give the example is hypertension. They're seeing the patient and they're saying, you know, like, let's take a look at your meds. What are your most recent home readings? Let's do a little bit of a focused assessment and history. And then the physician comes in and on the recommendation of what the nurse had seen, that shorter, that visit is quite a bit shorter, right? And you can actually do that in a reversed way as well, where the physician is seeing the client beforehand and says, ah, oh, you know, I think that we need to optimize X, Y, and Z a little bit more. I'm going to have you go pop in to see my nurse on your way out. So the nursing appointment can be 30 to 60 minutes, whereas the physician appointment can still be within that manageable period of time, like 15. Um, so these very complex patients are still getting the care that they need and deserve and that coordination on the back end, but it doesn't all have to come from the same person. Um, it's really that like good handoff and reporting. And if you look in other areas of our system, that's exactly how we do it. Like for instance, like a triage nurse is always like my favorite way to explain it. The physician isn't out there triaging the patients. The physician isn't the first one necessarily that walks into the room in the ER. A nurse has already gone in there and collected a lot of information and started whatever interventions they already could. So that could, in the, in the topic of primary care, that can be education, history taking, screening, focused assessments. And then it really cuts down on the amount of time that a physician might have to spend with one individual client. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I would frame it similarly. There's a, there's a time intensity to look after every single person that we see in an office and Part of that time intensity is the face-to-face -face time. And part of that time intensity is actually the indirect time, you know, either organizing investigations or referrals or reviewing incoming information or charting, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you can maximize a nurse's scope in a fee-for-service environment and decrease your time intensity to look after any patient, whether that's a 
you know, an acutely sick person, um, you know, health and wellness patient or chronic disease patient you're looking after, then you free up, you know, physician time. And that allows you either to see more people, um, which, which improves in a fee for service environment, your, your kind of efficiency and billing efficiency, or maybe you're happy enough to be going home a little earlier at the end of the day. And that's your goal, um, you know, as a group of providers. So, you know, I think it's, uh, is, is my goal to improve my billing efficiency? Is it my goal to decrease the time investment of me personally in my day? You know, are there quality goals that I have as a, as a group that I want to obtain? So I think there's multiple different ways that, that targeting that time intensity can have benefits in a fee-for-service space. And I really like what you said because I think it's critically important um, that whole upfront role negotiation piece is critical. So, you know, I think when we see um, places that maybe they kind of dump a nurse into a clinic without any of that upfront role negotiation, and as you said, they give them a, a back office to work out of and see patients, that doesn't tend to really maximize that relationship. And I really like what you've done upfront where you're sitting with the clinic, you're talking about where their gaps are, you're talking about how this um, nurse is going to integrate into their team and you're negotiating what the roles and responsibilities will be in a, in a kind of co-design fashion. And, you know, I think that's a step that sometimes we're missing when we start to integrate nursing into primary care practices. And I don't think it's a step you can skip. And, and so, you know, what's, what's your kind of impression of the value of that upfront role negotiation? Because for me, that's the critical factor between success and failure. I'm interested in your perspective. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. We actually, once we were done finding out from, from what we know the role of the primary care nurse to be, like specifically at the EWPCN, um, and now we've been scaling and spreading that information, that's not enough. So if, if it's one step in the right direction. The people doing the work should know how to accurately describe their role to others. And that is very critical. And quite frankly, up until like a, a year ago or so, I couldn't even really precisely tell you until all of this background work was being done. But the other part is everybody understanding your role, right? And I don't know how you can actually do that without having these conversations up front. So that is a, a critical step. And it's not just with the physicians. Like there is a whole team here, like your administrative staff at the front. If you have a referral coordinator, do you have any mental health support? What about the clinic manager? Like these people should be involved in these conversations and it'll save you so much time on the back end of, oh, I didn't know the nurses could be seeing X, Y, and Z. I haven't been booking them at all. Or especially the, the issue of underutilization. I find that underutilization is usually just a lack of knowledge. So it's a huge step. Um, and But the thing is, what we're asking for is more time. So it, it is really difficult um, to try to integrate somebody in, in the best way possible because it, it asks a little bit more of the team saying, you know, for a little bit, you're going to have to have these conversations and navigate these waters that you maybe haven't navigated before. And that's why some of these tools that the ABC and they are working on are so important. Oh, this is great. I think this is a really um, 
important start to an important conversation that I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about. But as we wrap up, Melissa, we always ask our guests to provide, you know, what would be your top three pieces of advice for clinics that are that are, you know, interested in this and in really um, looking at teamwork through a different lens and incorporating nurses more fully uh, to the top of their scope? What is what is your advice? Yeah, I guess the the whole start of it is know your roles, right? Um, and find a way to accurately describe them. There is a lot of research out there and a lot of tools and stuff like that that can help you in this when you're having what's called a team meeting. And team meetings are highly recommended, especially when you're adding a new team member. Um, and you should have follow-up team meetings to discuss this ongoing negotiation. Like it's quite fluid um, or ways that you can integrate better or things that are going well, not going well. Maybe there's some interest from the nurse that they'd like to actually see a different type of appointment type more often. Um, and having those conversations frequently. My other thing is um, really understanding the education and the competency required to see those patients from the nursing lens. And I'm not sure that like you had kind of initiated, Brad, like why is that the role of the physician in primary care right now? It kind of isn't fair. Um, so knowing where to go for your resources so that you can know what education is out there um, and like knowing what, you know, your PCN is offering, perhaps if you're part of a PCN or if there's any other groups that um, you're a part of, of what education is available so that we can upskill in certain areas that you would like to see more of. Um, and then lastly is just building trust. So when you trust someone, you can share your care. Like that's a very like intimate part of your job. Those are your patients. Those are your responsibility. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be our responsibility at the end of the day, but that's not done without trusting relationships. So taking time to build those relationships, ask questions, get to know each other, because that's where the magic happens. You know, that's when you see teams in hospitals running down the hall together being like, I got your back. Those are people with relationships and that can happen in primary care too. Oh, wow. Thank you, Melissa. Again, an important conversation and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check out the show notes for links to the tools, resources, and websites that were referenced in this podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment, tell us what you thought and what you'd like to hear more about. And until next time, grab your hammer and keep building one nail at a time.